welcome everybody to our call today. Today's coaching call for the Holistic Health Mastery Program is going to focus on a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It's something that I have been exploring to the depths of for, I want to say, almost seven years or so. When I got into natural nutrition, which was over a decade ago, and I decided that I wanted to participate in leading this movement on a trajectory of getting out to the world, getting this message of holistic healing, of natural nutrition, of superfood nutrition, of raw living food nutrition and plant-based living out to the world, I really started to uncover a lot of incredible mysteries in the health world and what vital health, optimum health on all levels really look like. And there's been so many incredible things that have come my way, so many incredible protocols, strategies, philosophies, ways of living, ways of eating. And it's been an absolute blessing to have all that come my way. And one of the things that came on my radar about seven years ago was this concept of herbalism. Now, as a martial artist, growing up as a martial artist, I was vaguely familiar with this idea of herbalism uh, simply because, you know, growing up in Eastern culture, you kind of hear about the medicine men, the martial artists, and the, the masters who were also medicine men and women who help people heal whatever the particular ailments might have been. But I never really understood this idea of herbalism being the main modality that came from China, that came from Japan, that came out of Korea, that came out of the Eastern philosophies, certainly that originated in India, and a lot of the shamanic traditions and things of that nature. I didn't really understand it at the time, but it was something that was kind of bestowed upon me and it touched me in a deep way. And I got deeply immersed into the world of herbalism to understand the philosophy, to understand the practical application, to understand what these amazing herbs could do for our health, could do for our well being, our vitality, our mental acuity that could reduce stress and anxiety and really help us become the most vital and optimal version of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And after seven years of just being deeply immersed in this particular field of health, I have to say that when it comes to philosophies on health, the Chinese herbal philosophy, certainly the Ayurvedic philosophy, is absolutely um, paramount in importance, but we're going to focus on Chinese herbalism and specifically Taoist Chinese herbalism, which is different than Chinese medicine. And I'm going to go into a little bit of the distinctions on that because there is a fundamental difference in those two approaches, none being right or wrong. They're actually very complementary to one another, but they are distinctive to one another. They're not actually the same thing. So we're going to dive into this and we're not going to go into extreme detail scientifically on all the different herbs or how does it affect specific organs or you know things of that nature we will we will create brush strokes that will brush upon that those particular themes but the importance of this call is to really introduce the concept of tonic herbalism to all of you that are watching and to really get a grasp of what is tonic herbalism all about what were the ancient masters and the avatars over 5,000 years ago in recorded history, what were they pervy to? Because we live in an industrial society and in a technological society that is actually void 
of intuitive intelligence. And what I mean by that is our entire medical system is an industrialized medical system, but there are medical systems that have really laid the foundation for humanity to even get to this point for human beings to thrive and replicate and reproduce and actually get to this point in human history where now we have technology that makes our life easy, but it can actually make our life too easy where we forget about the wisdom of our ancestors. And so tonic herbalism is essentially wild food intuition. What do I mean by that? Well, when you go into a grocery store, oftentimes there's very little intuition involved. Right When you go to a grocery store, it's very mathematical. If you're into nutrition, you're looking at food labels and you're calculating, okay, this has how much sugar, how much um, protein, fats, um, certain vitamins that they label on the, on the package. It's very mathematical. It's very cerebral, but it's not necessarily intuitive. It's not necessarily somatic intelligence, meaning the intelligence of the visceral system of your body. And, you know, we go to the grocery store, everything is prepackaged, it's presented to us, and we're kind of just guessing about what's going to be good for us at any particular point. But what I want to talk about is a way to get back into intuitive intelligence, which is the gateway to vibrant, um, incredible health. You know, the, the great systems of Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and Amazonian herbalism um, European herbalism, Egyptian herbalism and medicine. A lot of these systems have been around for you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it was in a time and place in human history where we didn't have shopping markets. We didn't have Google. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't have GPS. So we had to rely on our intuitive navigation system. We had to rely on our physical somatic intelligence to guide us and navigate through our natural environment. And things were much more difficult then. There was much more experimentation where people would actually have to experiment with roots, with weeds, with grasses, with um, you know, uh, barks even, with different herbs that were growing on the side of a tree. We call those medicinal mushrooms. In most cases, like a reishi mushroom, is growing on the side typically of a tree, a living tree, or it's growing out of a dead, a decaying tree. A shaga mushroom is protruding out of a birch tree, so on and so forth. Eucomia bark is an elastic type of bark that grows on a rubber tree, most famed in China. And if you could just take a moment to consider the difference in the way that we go about finding what is optimal for us in the way that our ancestors had to, they had to rely on a different type of intelligence than we do now. And so what herbalism allows us to do is it taps, back, taps us back into a wild food intuition where we can actually suss out what is going to be most beneficial for us and what is going to support us with vibrant health in a way that allows us to be more intuitive than necessarily cerebral. So that's the basic kind of idea that I want to get across. Now, in this hour together, I want to go through a good amount of information, and I want to create a very, a very well-detailed brushstroke of the most essential things to understand when it comes to the philosophy and the practical application of Taoist tonic herbalism. 
So the first place to start, I guess, would be the distinction between Taoist herbalism or tonic herbalism in Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine was born out in the 1800s by, by Mao Tsing Tung. And basically what he wanted to do, the, the ruler, the emperor, if you will, the leader of China, the political leader, he wanted to adapt the Chinese medical system to more of a westernized system and make it more, more linear and make it more scientifically based. So before that point, Chinese medicine, as it were, was much more explained in energetic terms. It was much more explained in emotional, energetic, and spiritually based terms. So it was very hard to understand by the Western mind. The Western mind is very analytical, it's very linear, it's very uh, materialistic and rooted in scientific explanations, where in China for thousands of years, actually the East as a whole, and most, most civilizations, most cultures, were much more rooted in intuitive navigation, intuitive intelligence. And so they would explain things much more based on the energetics opposed to the scientific um, explanation. So Mao Zedong wanted to actually bring the scientific model in and make it more adaptable for the Western mind because they were becoming more technological and they were actually wanting to adapt all their systems um, to compete with the West, essentially. So that's really where a lot of what we know as Chinese medicine was born out of. And now it's very complementary, where we have an understanding that a scientific understanding where the science is actually bearing out all of what uh, traditional um, Taoist herbalism has been telling us about a lot of these herbs like reishi mushroom and, and cordyceps mushroom and Shizandra berry and rhodiola and ginseng and um, eucomia bark and hoshu wu and all these amazing, amazing um, adaptogenic herbs. Now the science is actually corroborating what they were talking about before they actually had a scientific language to, under, to explain what was going on in the physical body. So that's an important distinction to understand. When somebody says Chinese medicine, they're not necessarily talking about Taoist tonic herbalism. They're two, different, they're two different things, but they're very complementary to one another. But this call is going to be focused on Taoist tonic herbalism and a lot of the philosophies and things that I think is absolutely essential to understand. If you're going to get into herbalism, you've got to understand where it came from and you've got to understand the energetic principles because this, in my opinion, is the most powerful healing philosophy. It's the most important um, health philosophy in the world by far. And you can take this philosophy that I'm going to share with you and you can translate it to any area of your life and you can translate it to any other model of nutrition or lifestyle because it's universally applicable. And so what I want to do with you is I want to take you through a train of thought that's going to lead us in a pretty interesting uh, direction. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to read off certain segments of my book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program. And I have an entire chapter dedicated to herbalism. And that chapter is called The Alchemist's Medicine Wheel the alchemist medicine wheel because in every great culture throughout history there's always been a medicine wheel that they've relied upon 
and it's always been an organization of herbalism. So we're going to talk about, I'm going to read off a few different um, passages at different points, and then I'm going to expand upon those. So the first thing is the wisdom of tonic herbalism. And there's a great opening quote by master tonic herbalist, Master Ron Teagarden, who owns the company Dragon Herbs. And he was really one of the people responsible for bringing Chinese Taoist herbalism into America. And we owe him a great debt of uh, gratitude for that. So let me start off here. The term tonic herbalism refers to a form of herbal nutrition that focuses specifically on the overall well-being of an individual and not so much on the specific symptomatic concerns that person may be encountering or looking to prevent. In classical Chinese medicine, there are two primary forms of herbalism. There's inferior herbalism and superior herbalism. Tonic herbalism falls into the superior herbalism category due to the fact that the intention behind it is to bring one into superior state of health and vitality. Inferior herbalism, although its term can be confusing to the onlooker, is not to say that it is an inferior in approach as much as it is focused on assisting in remedying inferior health conditions. So let's touch on that for a moment here. This is a very, very important point. So one of the things that one of my mentors, Dr. George Lamoureux, who owns the company Jing Herbs, and I've been ambassador and, a, and an advocate for their products for about six or seven years now, he was really one of the mentors that came into my life to educate me and still does on the, on the nuances and the depths of what Taoist herbalism really is all about. And one of the things that he shared with me a few years ago was the distinction between inferior herbalism and superior herbalism. As I mentioned in this passage, superior herbalism is really what tonic herbalism is all about. And it's really about helping somebody not necessarily heal a symptomatic condition. Say somebody has an infection, they have an acute infection, then, or they, they have a cold or something, they have something coming up. Then in that case, tonic herbs are not going to be the primary healing mechanism for that inferior condition. But tonic herbs are going to be great. But what you actually want to do is use what are called inferior herbs, or another term for that is medicinal herbs. Tonic herbs are adaptogenic harmonizing herbs, herbs that you can take every single day throughout your lifetime, and they're going to build vigor in the body. And that's something you do all the time, just like you do food. It's a part of your daily nutrition. Medicinal herbs, on the other hand, are not something you do every day. There's something, they're things that you do in response to a symptom. Very similarly, how the Western medical system is set up to go to the doctor. If you have a cold or you have, a, you have a, an infection or you, need an, you want to go get an antibiotic or something, the entire medical model of pharmacy is entirely designed based on inferior herbalism or, or medicinal herbalism, but they're not really using herbs, are they? They're using chemicals and drugs to treat um, a particular condition or a symptom. So the medicinal herbs actually replace the medical ideology and they come in as natural and potentially far more effective remedies to deal with an infection, like a fungal infection, a viral infection, a bacterial infection, um, something of that, that sort. 
And some of those herbs you may be familiar with, I, I categorized a whole bunch of them in this book, so it would just be easier to read them off. Some of the most common herbs in this regard are dandelion root or leaf, raw garlic, echinacea, golden seal, sangre de grotto, otherwise known as dragon's blood, oregano oil, yellow dock root, marigold, milk thistle, etc., etc. And the, the reason that these are medicinal herbs is because they have anti-infection properties and they also help with metabolizing and filtering the liver. Typically, when somebody has an acute situation, um, one of the main things that is happening is that they have a liver malfunction. Their liver is not functioning optim optimally and they need something to actually work on the liver level uh, as well as wherever that may have been, that, that ripple effect may have gone. But there's always a liver, um, a compromised liver involved, right? So dandelion root or milk thistle, for example, works directly on the liver, but they have harsh alkaloid compounds. Alkaloids are very bitter compounds that are medicinal in nature, and they're very, very powerful. <clears throat> but if you have too many alkaloids, say you do too many medicinal herbs ongoing, those alkaloids can actually build up in the body and create a liver toxicity. So that's why we do those things periodically, and we do it in response to a particular situation. Raw garlic is the most powerful antibiotic in the world by far. Um, so that's, that's a good idea. That's what you would do in response. That in combination with other things, um, echinacea or golden seal, for example, you do those in response to an infection, for example. Um, or if you need to boost the immune system up, that's another thing that happens in these situations is that the immune system is compromised. The liver and the immune system are compre compromised. The adrenal glands and the kidneys are most likely compromised as well. So some of these herbs like garlic, like echinacea, like golden seal, and, and many others that we mentioned, they, they stimulate the immune system. But if you do it too much, it can hyper-stimulate the immune system and that could lead to a potential condition we relate to autoimmune, like a, hypo, a hyperactive immune system. So if someone has a hypoactive immune system, meaning a lulled down, a low active, active immune system, they need to get that thing back up into balance, right? So that is medicinal herbalism. Now, tonic herbalism, again, works on a whole different principle. And let's let's uh let's continue on here in our train of thought because it's going to be much easier since this is all broken down into great detail over many many months i i spent writing this particular chapter so the term tonic herbalism is a derivation of the taoist tradition of china but it also easily applies to all major forms of herbalism in order for an herb to be classified as a tonic it must meet certain criteria as appointed by the traditional Chinese system of medicine. So the basic requirements for an herb, or even a food for that matter, to be considered a tonic, meaning something that it tonifies the organ systems, it tonifies the liver, it tonifies the glandular system in the hormone-producing system, the endocrine system, the, the thyroid, the adrenals, etc., etc., the spleen. It can go on forever. Um, it tonifies that system. It means it makes it more adaptable, more resilient, and more um, better functioning. 
So for something to be considered a tonic based on the Chinese herbal medicine system requirements, it must possess anti-aging or longevity enhancing properties. It must have a broad spectrum health promoting effect that works on all related systems of the body. Again, a medicinal herb tends to be specific to specific organs or localized points of the body, whereas a tonic works on holistic systems of the body, meaning that it works on the whole system. Everything, and it works on the harmonization and the, the, um, the synergy of the body as a whole. It doesn't just work on the liver. It doesn't just work on the kidneys. It works on the whole body. It must improve and enhance psychic or psychological and emotional states of well-being. In other words, it contains profound anti-stress and anti-anxiety capabilities that are felt relatively quick and are sustained long-term with the increased frequency of use. So what that means, again, the more you use a tonic herb, it must help the individual decrease psychic or psychological and emotional stress. So reishi mushroom, for example, albizia flower, schizandra berry, these are things that have been documented over thousands of years and have been proven to have an accumulatory effect, meaning the more you use it, it has a compounding effect of anti-stress, anti-aging, anti-anxiety, and makes one feel more in harmony with themselves. It must have no negative or toxic side effects when used in moderation or reasonable abundance. This means it should be completely safe to be taken virtually every single day, no different than common foods. In fact, most of the common foods of civilization tend to produce more toxic byproducts and are far more dangerous than any herb in this category within the same dosage. Tonic herbs do not have an LD50 rate, meaning they do not contribute to the basic buildup of toxic byproducts in the liver with consistent use. So this is really profound. In order for something to be a tonic herb, it must contain or must not affect the individual. Um, the higher they dose up or the consistency of their dosage, it must not have any toxic effects on the body. And the LD50 is the lethal dose 50. For example, you take 100 rats and you dose up those 100 rats and you find out what dose of something ends up killing 50% of those rats. It's pretty crazy. It's almost barbaric, but it's one of the ways that science has kind of been able to figure this out using rat models. Now, I'm not into vivisection, animal experimentations. I think it's pretty, um, it's a little ridiculous that we try to compare um, human anatomy and physiology to that of a rat, but, you know, it does give us a good, a good base mark. It does give us a little bit of a measurement to translate what the lethal dose of a particular compound supplement, herb, pharmaceutical drug, and it's usually used in the pharmaceutical drug industry, which is unconscious to begin with, so they don't really care about such things. But that's the basic idea. That's what an LD50 is, just so you know. Um, and it also must display at least one of the three treasure components as widely discussed in Taoist and Chinese medicine. Okay. So that's a good place to, to um, segue here. Now, now that we got that out of the way, now that we understand the basic premise of what tonic herbs are and the differences between Chinese medicine, Taoist herbalism, um, 
um, what was I thinking of? Uh, inferior herbalism, superior herbalism. Now that we got all that out of the way, let's dive deep into the core of what we want to discuss in this call. And the first place to start is the three treasure philosophy. If there was ever a philosophy in health and well-being and just how to operate our life in the most optimal way, the three treasures, in my um, very astute opinion, is the foundation of everything, is the absolute best philosophy on health we got going. And uh, it's something that we can use to guide our life in every area of our life, not just our health, in our, our business um, entanglements, our business relationships, our personal relationships, um, our fitness, by the way, there are different, there's detrimental ways to um, work out and there's, there are productive ways to work out depending on the, the condition or constitution of uh, somebody and their goals. So let's dive into the three treasures here. And again, the three treasures is so expansive. It goes so deep. So I'm going to skim the surface, but I'm going to read them. I'm going to continue to read some passages out of this to just, just be as succinct and, and um, uh, direct communication on this as possible. And then we'll expand upon it as we go. So I have another chapter in the book. Um, I think this one, it's called The Secrets of Immortality. And this is where I really dive into the three treasures. Um, but, but that could be a long thing. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to digress to a different section of the book um, to give you just a basic kind of rundown of this philosophy. So the three treasures. The three treasures is an ancient philosophy and practical view on the energy dynamics of the human body and its relationship to food, herbs, water, and taking in nourishment from the elements. According to the Taoist herbalists, all food and herbs contain one, two, or all three of these treasures that download their properties into us and build our internal treasures. These treasures are qi, jing, and shen. These are the fundamental life force energies that animate the human body and potentially all life forms on earth. As a brief example of these, these treasures, qi is a very dynamic and energetic. Jing is very restorative and nourishing. Shen is very illuminating and wisdom bearing. Okay. This is the one of the funnest areas for me to lecture on. So the three treasures are basically are qi, jing, and shen. And then there's also a fourth essential treasure that's not really talked about, which is willpower. Now, the three treasures, when they're in harmony with your chi is in harmony, your jing is in harmony, and your shen is fully expressed, all of a sudden what happens is you have more willpower to do what you need to do in your life to get through whatever you need to get through to essentially live your purpose and your dharma. That's what the three treasures are all about. So let's break that down a little bit. <clears throat> so the first treasure is chi. Now, chi is a little more well-known in the Western world because um, elementally speaking, in the Western world, we're very chi excessive or we're chi, um, there's a lot of good chi. And what chi essentially is, it's the fire power. It's the animating force of the human body. It's the animating force of the universe as a whole. And it's basically very fiery. It's like your blood, for example. It's, it's blood building. And it's the fluidity and mobility of your blood in the circulatory system. And when the blood gets stagnant, it gets clogged up. It gets thick 
and coagulated, such as a diabetic condition, a hypoglycemic condition, and our metabolism is not working <clears throat> properly, that means we have a chi deficiency. We have a blocked up chi, for example. Chi is the fluidity and mobility of the human body, and the kidneys and the adrenals are supported by healthy chi levels, so, as well as the spleen and many other dynamics of, the, of human anatomy. Um, so when you feel very energetic, when your body, if you look at my body, it's upright. The posture of somebody, somebody's body is upright. We call that ascending chi in Chinese herbalism. That's ascending chi. When you have downward chi, it's kind of like your body kind of caves in. It's gravitationally suppressed. And it's just your shoulders are down. Somebody's looking down. They're not very confident. Um, they're very doubtful. They're anxious. They're worried about the world. They don't know what to do. They, um, they're basically hopeless in their own life and, what, what, and how to go about their life. So when somebody, when you see somebody who's like very powerful in their body and they're, and they're charged up, that's chi essentially. Chi is that charge, that electrolytical charge in the nervous system that flows throughout the neuromuscular system and the cardiovascular system and allows somebody to be upright, confident, um, assertive, initiative, um, really ready to move forward in their life, however that shows up. That's chi. Jing. Jing is fundamentally the primordial energy that is the foundation of our human body. So in um, physiology terms, our chi, well, let me, let me, hold on, before I go to Jing, let me just make one more note on chi. Chi, again, is our digestion as well. So if we have low amounts of stomach acid, hydrochloric acid and gastric acids, we're not digesting our food properly. And say somebody has a candida or um, a viral or bacterial infection, they have a dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of beneficial bacteria. Um, infections can also be related to uh, chi deficiency as well, because the chi energy, the firepower energy is very similar to the hydrochloric acid in our stomach. And when we don't have enough hydrochloric acid, we actually can't metabolize our food and we can't obliterate infectious organisms that are in the digestive system. Our, our stomach acid is the firewall between parasites and other pathogens um, and our, our body, essentially. So if there's enough stomach acid, we're going to be able to, um, be able to um, burn away those infections and co-infections and we're going to be good. But if we don't, they're going to get through that firewall and then they're going to get into the circulatory system or nervous system. And then we have an infectious, um, an infection based problem, right? So I just want to make that note. Um, so Jing, back to Jing. Jing is the primordial life force energy of the human body. So in, in physiology terms, your adrenal glands are your Jing. That's, that is your base power. That is your life force energy, your cerebral spinal fluids, a man's seminal fluids, a woman's vaginal fluids, a woman's ability to produce a baby, a man's ability to have enough sperm and healthy sperm to impregnate a woman to have a baby. Um, your brain tissue, your physical brain tissue is all jing. So if someone has a neurodegenerative condition or they have something going on in the brain, 
um, from a structural perspective, a muscular structural perspective or organ perspective, I should say, um, then there's a gene uh, issue there. There's a gene deficiency there. And also your stem cells are jing they're pure jing because that's how that's what is making us is our stem cells so if our stem cells are depleted deficient they're they've been used up that's going to be a jing issue and our enzyme bank account which makes life possible is also jing so again jing is the primordial energy of the human body and we need to conserve our jing we need to have enough rest and restoration and relaxation and good quality sleep in order to rejuvenate. And if we tax our adrenals, if we tax our liver and we don't get enough proper sleep, then what ends up happening is we tap our life reserve energy, which is the Jing energy. So one more note I'll make on Jing because I think it's pretty interesting and important. There is postnatal Jing and prenatal Jing. Prenatal Jing is the genetic potential that the mother and father are able to pass on to that developing fetus that is incubated in a mother's womb before it's actually birthed into the world. So it's, it's all the genetic pool of the mother and the father and the quality of the pregnancy, the quality of the mother taking care of herself, detoxing, cleansing, nourishing herself, um, in order to redistribute the nutrition that she's getting over to the baby so the mother is taken care of. She's not, she's not depleting her bank account to give to the baby. Both life forms, essentially, are being completely nourished. And then there's postnatal jing. Postnatal jing is basically, it's what you've got when you come onto the planet. It's, it's or I should say, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me backtrack, um, is what I want to say, is the prenatal jing is that child's, it's child's um, foundational jing energy, it's life force, it's genetic potential. That's what is given by the parents. And postnatal jing is everything that that child ends up becoming as it goes through the formative years and becomes an adult. And how that individual takes care of themselves throughout their years and throughout their life is postnatal jing. And postnatal jing, you can cultivate, you can develop, you can take care of. That's the whole idea of getting really good, clean nutrition and certain supplements that you need and um, living a healthy lifestyle. That's how you take care of your postnatal jing, which is the life force that you take with you the rest of your life. So hopefully that makes sense. Then the third treasure is shen. And when I talk to every great herbalist, ultimately what they say is that Shen is the main focus of everything because Shen is ultimately how our spirit manifests and expresses itself into the physical world. So the radiance in somebody's eyes, you can tell when you look in somebody's eyes, you can tell if somebody is home or if somebody is not home. If somebody is not home, let's say, for example, somebody is... Um, emotionally or spiritually or psychically disturbed you know they're just they're again they're overrun with anxiety they're overrun with fear and they're anxious and they're worried about life and they're kind of checking out they're medicating themselves with drugs or food or whatever the case is they're numbing themselves what that essentially is is a shen disturbance they're spiritually there's a spiritual disturbance in their energy system and their soul isn't able to fully anchor into their physical body 
and to become fully manifest in the material world. When you see somebody that is radiant, that's the whole idea of radiance. Shen is, is the radiance of your spirit manifest in physical form, manifest in the way you speak, the way you hold yourself, the way you talk to people, the way you receive feedback, the way you go about your life in every area of your life. It's the cadence of your personality and it's the lightness, it's the levity that you feel in your body moment by moment by moment, right? And there's a lot of great herbs that support Shen expression. <clears throat> so let me pause for a moment. That is the three treasures in a nutshell. It could go way deeper than that, but we're going to, I just want to get the philosophy. I want to get the context and the basic idea out to all of you so you can kind of have something to work with. Now, that's the three treasures. There's other aspects of herbalism that I think are really important to understand, such as the yin and yang perspective. So when we look at a yin-yang symbol, it's 50% white, 50% black. Now, this is a bit of a nuance because as we go through the maturation process in our life, it's actually not 50-50. That, that's oversimplified. Ultimately, what ends up happening as the wisdom accumulates in somebody as they go through more dances around the sun, what ends up happening is that it becomes more um, disproportionate. So I'm going to break this down a little bit, a little bit following this, this thread of thought. So it'll be much more understandable and practical. But basically, when, what ends up happening is that it actually, through the, the, um, the pinnacle of wisdom, in the pinnacle of somebody's maturation in life, it actually becomes more 80-20. 80% yin, 20% yang, right? Yang, again, is very hyper-masculine energy. It's very, it's firepower. It's like, go out and make it happen and, you know, Anthony Robbins, right? Um, very masculine individual. But there's a tender side to it. And the tenderness is that feminine principle, femininity as an energy, as an archetype, is the formative energy. It's the embryonic energy that actually creatively creates life. It's the creative impulse inside all of us. And so when somebody matures through their life, they become more in tune with their creative faculties, and they put more emphasis on creation um, and, and aligning themselves with the energetics of life, with nature, with their own soul, if you want to use that language. And that's really what manifestation is. So in manifestation terms, um, what you need to do in order to manifest, you actually need to focus on your creative faculties and focus on it with emotion and psychic empowerment. And then, but you only do that in a particular, you don't do that all the time. You can't always think about the same thing. That's, that's, it's a kind of a holding pattern and it create it breeds anxiousness and fear. So what you want to do is you want to focus in on what you want to create. And then once you're ready and you hit the pinnacle, you have to send it out. You have to send it out and actually let go. Now, if you're too in the yang phase, it's too out of balance. Then you're always going to be focusing like, no, I got to do it. I got to make it happen. No, no, no. I got to, I got to do it. I got to keep, keep on it. Keep focusing on it till it becomes kind of manic, right? There's a difference between inspired action and manic action. Manic, it's like, oh, it's like fear-based, right? It's like, I'm afraid things aren't going to work out, so I got to keep, keep, keep on it. 
inspired action is that you get in divine download. You get an impulse from your, your spirit. You get some kind of inspiration. And then in that moment of perfect timing, boom, you call the person you were thinking of calling. You uh, do the thing you're inspired to do. You, you go the place you're inspired to go to. You take that coaching program that just calls you at that particular moment. It's that kind of energy, right? So that's a basic kind of um, understandable way of understanding yin and yang energies, but we're going to go a little bit further into that. So I'm going to read another passage out of my book that explains this in a little more detail. <clears throat> so the concept of yin and yang energies based on traditional Chinese medicine are fundamentally polarizing forces that seek to keep the macro and micro of the universe in a state of dynamic equilibrium. Dynamic yet never static or completely stable as life is a living force seeking movement, fluidity, and continuity. Let me just pause on that note. So health and vitality is a continuous fluid thing. It's, it's always being in movement. It's always being mobile energetically. It's never stable. It's never static. The moment we become static, we start to die. We start to decay, actually. That's the life cycle. We need to grow and progress and evolve. And the moment we stop doing that, we start to regress and digress. And we start to actually, we start to actually um, backtrack. And this is when you see extreme cancer and um, you know, extreme diabetic conditions like amputations. Side note, the number one reason for amputations in the world is diabetes. Um, stuff like that, when the physical body has gone into a place of stasis, it's become static, it actually starts to decay and die. So that's an important note um, since we came up to that. Okay, continuing on. The most basic understanding of this polar opposite, such as a man and woman, yang and yin, hot and cold, active and passive, exertion and conservation, in terms of herbalism, some herbs are more yang and some are more yin. To truly understand the depth of this concept in relation to herbalism, pairing it with the three treasure philosophy begins to illuminate more insight. Some herbs, such as hoshu wu, are yin jing herbs, which means it is deeply restoring, potentially calming, blood building, and kidney supporting. Other herbs, such as cordyceps, are yang jing, meaning immediately energizing as well as restoring, potentially heating, invigorating, and kidney adrenal supporting. In Chinese medicine, it is always encouraged to build up our yin energy before focusing on building our yang bank account. Due to excessive stress, poor diet, and consuming too many stimulating foods, dehydration, lack of sleep, and environmental toxicity, our primary energy bank account, which is our yin energy, has been depleted and people draw heavily on their yang bank account. This is similar to a car that's in need of an oil change and is constantly running on dirty fumes. Yin is relative to, uh, to our physical blood chemistry and therefore represents our fluid life force. So um, that should really articulate and explain in a little more detail, this yin and yang philosophy. So in herbalism, when somebody is in a particular state of health and they need to get back into balance, we tend to focus on yin type of herbs. When we look at a healing situation, such as, again, a cancer situation, an infection, 
um, arthritic osteoporotic, osteoporotic um, bone mineral deficiencies, uh, any, any kind of breakdown of the physical body. The number one thing that we do for people is we get them off a cooked food diet, we get them off animal food diet, and we get them on a high living food, plant-based diet, which is rich in hydrating water. And so you can look at it this way. Raw living food is very yin. Cooked food is more yang. Animal foods are 100% yang. Um, and there can be yang jing. There can be, um, or there can just be an excessive yang where it's actually too much of that thing, like in the case of animal foods, too much animal foods is going to create too much heating in, in someone's body if they don't have the proper balance of yin living foods to balance the energy in the body. This is similar to the constitutional perspective of the doshas in Ayurveda. So that's an important thing to just consider is that our food has yin and yang elements as well. So we have a short amount of time now. What I want to do is I want to run through two more things that are essential to understand. And then we are going to, um, we are going to, uh, yeah, we're going to close out this call from there. So the next thing I want to talk about is adaptogens. The thing with tonic herbs is they're adaptogenic, meaning that they have adaptogenic properties that make our body more resilient, that make our nervous system more parasympathetic dominant, meaning they keep us in equilibrium. They keep us in a balanced state of, of um, energy and good feeling and, and just feeling balanced. You know the feeling when you feel balanced and when you don't feel balanced. Um, so an adaptogen essentially is something that has a non-specific effect on the body. And we, we kind of went through this, this with inferior herbs and superior herbs where an adaptogen, like in a reishi mushroom, reishi mushroom is, in my opinion, the number one adaptogenic herb, maybe the most adaptogenic substance in the world, gynostemma. Again, a great traditional Chinese herb is also extremely adaptogenic. And adaptogens, again, help your body stay adaptable to stress, adaptable to your environmental or emotional situations that you may find yourself in. They're not specific to one location of the body like the liver, the kidneys, or the digestive system. They focus on harmonizing the body and making you more resilient and adaptable to life. And the last thing that I want to talk about is something called immunomodulation. Very similar to adaptogens, it's basically adaptogenic for the immune system specifically. So there's certain herbs that are immunomodulatory, meaning they modulate the immune system. This is such an important principle. So what this basically is saying is that when we hyperstimulate our immune system it, with like garlic or echinacea or, or one of these medicinal type of herbs, or you, know, you stimulate your system with caffeine, caffeine is not adaptogenic, right? It, it only moves in one direction. It moves the sympathetic nervous system and the cortisol it moves it up. That's why it has that like up, upward energy feel up, right? Um, that's not an adaptogen. An adaptogen normalizes the response. It might move you up if you need to go up energetically, but if you're too high, you're too stimulated, then it'll bring you back down into equilibrium. That's the idea. So it's the same thing with your immune system. There's specific herbs 
that actually modulate the, the immune system and they educate the white blood cells of your immune system called leukocytes. They actually plug on, there's certain compounds called polysaccharides or beta-glucans. Hopefully this isn't too confusing. Um, their polysaccharides are, are types of bitter sugars found in medicinal mushrooms, found in herbs like astragalus, found in ginseng, or not ginseng, well actually, yeah, ginsenicide, um, that's the wrong term. Uh, ginseng does have these, these compounds, um, uh, but gynostemma was what I was thinking about. Um, and these, these compounds plug on like a USB port plugging in to your white blood cells, and they educate your white blood cells on how to perform their job better. So this is one of the most important areas of research because your immune system is really dictating. It's like your governing body of your body. It's the governing station of your body. It's what protects you. It's why you don't get a common cold or it's why you do get the common cold because you have a compromised immune system. It needs to be re-educated so it's always functioning. The white blood cells of the immediate immune system are always on guard for any kind of foreign organisms or foreign compounds that come into the body. They're always protecting you all the time. And so immunomodulation is where these compounds found in the medicinal mushrooms especially, they modulate your immune system so it doesn't go hyper-stimulating or it doesn't go hypo-underactive. It stays where it needs to be depending on what the situation is in your life or what's going on. Reishi mushroom shaga mushroom, uh, cordyceps mushroom, agaricus blazi, turkey tail, lion's mane mushroom, um, and so many more and more and more. These medicinal mushrooms are the premier immunomodulators um, that we have available to us, and they're one of the most important things to know about, um, and one of the most important things to incorporate into your life, into your herbal practice, and there's a lot of different ways that you can do all this. So. I think that is a great place to kind of pause here on this, this download on um, Taoist tonic herbalism. This is only skimming the surface. We could go much deeper. We could go into all the herbs and the classification of herbs and, and the different practicalities of all these different herbs. But we don't have time to do that, and um, that's a little beyond this point. I think right now it's a great opportunity to really take this information in if you need to watch this video again, definitely do that. This is a lot to take in. I highly recommend getting a copy of my book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program, um, if you haven't already, because it's really broken down in such great detail, including the top premier herbs that I recommend from the Chinese system, from the Ayurvedic system, from the Amazonian system, and even some from folk European herbalism as well. So... Hopefully that was extremely helpful for all of you. I'm going to open this up. I'm going to I'm going to stop the recording for one of our streams here.